This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, like you said, my name's Andrea. I am a local Erie resident. I have, I'm a transplant. I've been here 15 years. I love Erie. I'm one of those people that actually chose to be here, think it's fantastic, and never intends to leave. Um, he told you a little bit about my family. It's true. I'm married to the amazing, wonderful Doug. I don't deserve him, but I'm totally hanging on to him. We have been together for 14 years, and uh, 10 of them were awesome, you know? So, and uh, we have two little kids, Danica and John. Danica is 10, John is 7. They're back there in your children's program right now. They may put me in an early grave. I totally need to hear the rest of uh, Colby's series here on parenting. But um, they're fantastic, and they go to Chestnut Hill. Anybody Chestnut Hill represent? Anybody? No? All right. Well, it's really close here, and I'm actually your neighbor. My house, literally, if you could walk out your back door and across that little creek and through two people's yards, you'd be standing on my front porch. So uh, I actually can hear your band practicing on Sunday mornings when my windows are open while I am getting ready. Um, so that's a little bit about who I am. And then he told you where I work. So I work at the Mercyhurst University Civic Institute, but my real job is that I run the prevention prong of Unified Erie. So Unified Erie is this three-prong thing, this initiative that's going on in Erie County to try and reduce the violence problem that we have going on. And uh, I work with all of it, but I mainly work in the prevention world. And what that means is I work with a lot of data and science people, and we're using data-driven, evidence-based strategies to change our community. Big words, I know. I was a little overwhelmed when I first took the job. But the data-driven thing just means that they're very serious about making sure that any strategy we pick has been studied extensively and actually proven to work. So I work on data-driven, evidence-based programs that are actually uh, tailored to our Erie community trying to reduce specific problems. Now, part of what I also do in this job, and it would be a whole other presentation, so you're just going to have to take my word on it, but we follow a process where we have this big survey that goes out into all the schools in Erie County, and so thousands of kids take it, and we actually can put it through this grid that actually tells us what the biggest problems are in Erie County that we need to get rid of and what's missing for our kids in Erie County that we need to put back in their lives if we want them to be healthier. And this process that we follow has been proven to work in other communities. If we stick with it in Erie for 10 years, we will have a marked difference from beginning to end. What that means for you about me being here is that when we analyze that data, one of the things that came up was that we are severely lacking in a specific category called religiosity. 
Now that's a data science word that just means kids participating in organized religion an hour a week. One hour a week, and they're considered participating in organized religion. That's that religiosity factor. But um, we're low. And I mean really stinking low. We're lower than the national average, the state average, and all the surrounding counties. Let that sink in for a minute. Because doesn't it seem like we have a religious institution on every corner in Erie? But the data says our kids are not going to them. And so I get to, as my job, one of the things I work on is this. Um, so that brings me to this part. I told you a little bit about myself, and I told you a little bit about my job. So I'm here today wearing two hats. One is my professional data and science and research hat, where I use words like religiosity and evidence-based and all of these things. That is my job. And under my job hat, I have to abide by certain rules. Within my job hat, I have to be true to the data and respect it. And so you need to know that the data that I promote professionally is about organized religion. I uh, get to talk about the data and tell people how it benefits them and how it benefits kids, but I am bound by that data. I can't make it say things that it doesn't say. I can't say that it says something about Jesus or church when it's saying organized religion. So if that makes sense, that's what I work with on that data. This represents my personal life. A little bit weather-worn, floppy, totally out of control. This would be my personal life. Hmm? And in my personal life, I am human. And I get to have my own set of beliefs and my own set of priorities. And on rare occasions, when I get invited someplace like this, I get to actually talk about them. And so I'm going to tell you unashamedly, I love Jesus. And it is really, really important to me to pursue him with my whole life and to figure out how to tell other people to pursue him too. And in my personal life, that is very much the lens that I look at everything through, okay? And, and just to give you some perspective, like, this is a big deal, always has been for me in my life. I even went to a Jesus-loving university. That's where I met my husband. For a while, we were in vocational ministry, spoiler alert. I was a really lousy pastor's wife. So now he owns a construction company. Um, but we still very, very much are involved in our own church, and we love it, and we love to talk about what Jesus has done in our lives, and we have big expectations for what Jesus can do in this city. And I have the utmost respect for what you guys are doing here as fellow believers for Christ in this city. But I have to walk a line between these two hats. And what you need to know about these two hats is that these dual roles are not in conflict. I get asked this a lot, so I've started to preemptively explain it to people. I very much have strong beliefs about Jesus in my life and in everyone else's life. But when I'm over here speaking in my professional hat, I don't get to talk about that. That's not what I get to do with that data. But let me tell you what I get to do for my job. I work with elected officials and government and cops and schools and social service agencies and all sorts of places that never in a million years what I have thought would make it a priority in Erie County to get more people going to places of worship.
on the weekend. And right now, in our county, it's a priority for them. And my job is to convince more people in Erie County to go. Now, I don't get to tell them where to go. I don't get to tell them what to believe. Because if I did that, I don't get to do my job anymore. But in my job, I am building a stage. And my hope and prayer is that you stand on it and you shout from it loudly that Jesus is Christ and that people can know him and love him and have peace. And so I am going to keep building my stage, and I'm here today to tell you, please don't miss the opportunity to shout from it, okay? So that's what we're talking about. That's my dual roles. When you hear me using big words, professional job. When you hear me talking about Jesus, personal. All right. So the campaign, Take Me to Worship, I hope you saw it somewhere. Last year, we did it from July and August and uh, slightly into September. There were signs, billboards, car stickers, yard signs. I hope, if I did my job right, that you saw it. And the what, we tried to make pretty simple. Take kids to worship, right? But Colby, when I met with him for lunch, excuse me, um, he said, let's come, have you come in and talk to our people about why. He said, because the campaign is persuasive, but it, it didn't really explain a ton of the why. So I'm here today to explain the why, why we did the campaign, where it came from, and some of the data, okay? So take me to worship. You first need to know it's local. <laughs> so we use that big process I was telling you about, and everything else is evidence-based, which means everything else that I work on has been done somewhere else proven to work, and we bring it here. So when religiosity showed up in our data, we called over in our professional hat to the people who created the, the process of figuring out what data needs to happen. We said, hey, it showed up in our data, and what should we do about it? And they were like, oh, that's hilarious. And they said, we have tons of research that shows the benefits of religiosity in a community. No one ever picks it as a strategy to work on. I said, what do you mean? They said, even if it shows up as their number one missing factor, they skip it and move to the next because nobody wants to touch religiosity with a 10-foot pole. Okie dokie. So no strategies to pick from that anybody else has done. We're left blazing a trail on our own, and they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, and if you figure something out, we'd totally love to hear about it. <laughs> Thank you. So we said, we don't really know what to do, right? We, we've got all this stuff, and we know it matters, but nobody else has done anything. We're not sure what to do about this. So we ended up holding a meeting in 2013 at the Blasco Library. Colby was there. We invited every religious leader we could think of. We asked him to come and hear about the data, and then we broke them up into small groups, and we said, what do you think we should do? And we tried to then go through those ideas and find things we could actually latch on to. Well, before that event, um, there's also something else you should probably know about me. Full disclosure, I work with brilliant people, like PhDs, master's degrees, brains just oozing out of their ears, right? I am officially the dumbest person in my office. Hmm? And every time I say that publicly, they never argue with me. But it's okay, because I'm good at other things. And what I am good at is I actually consider myself to be a translator. 
I call myself the brilliant to normal translator. Because if you've ever worked with one of the brilliant people, it can be a little overwhelming. They will spit out data and all of these things, and they're like, and then you can see this because of this percentage, and this, and this, and this, and positive, and negative, and how many, and I'm like, oh. And I take notes, and I listen, and I dig through what they've got, and then I find stuff, and I'm like, you know what? In my normal person world, that, that is persuasive. And then I figure out from the brilliant people how to translate it to the normal people like me so we can do something about it, okay? So brilliant to normal translator, that's my job. I work with brilliant people. I don't run the data. I take it and run with it, okay? So the data person in our office, she goes, hey, you know what I'm going to do for you for that meeting you have coming up with the religious leaders? She goes, I'm going to take that youth survey, the big, you know, seven, 10,000 kids survey. And she goes, I'm going to run two comparisons where we'll take what they answered about religious participation, religiosity, and we'll compare it to how they answered other questions like drug use, alcohol use, suicide, depression, teen pregnancy, on and on and on. And she goes, and then we'll look for some really good charts that show what a difference the religiosity makes, because there ought to be some of them that really show that. And the brilliant mind goes to work on what brilliant minds go to work on. And she calls me at home, okay, what she calls geeking out about the data. And she's like, you're not going to believe this. She goes, I have run 25 data sets. I have never seen this. I've been working on projects like this for 15 years. There is a stair-step relationship between every data set I've run and their participation in religion. If I look at alcohol use, the more they go, the less they use. The less they go, the more they use. Stair-step relationship. She goes, I looked at drug use. I looked at every risk factor I could think of, and every chart looks the same. Stair-step relationship. She goes, I can't, you don't understand this. She goes, you're new. You're not a data geek. You don't understand, but this is big. This is really, really big. I'm like, okay. And then there was this pause and this deep breath on the phone, and then she goes, and I have to get my kids in church. And I'm here to tell you she did. And uh, I have her permission to tell this story. I tell it often because that was the seed of this campaign. Because I listened to her and I watched her and I thought if data could persuade her to go from, eh, it's probably a good idea, to actually taking action, maybe it could do it for some of the other parents in Erie County. Maybe if we just share some of the data with them, they would do something about it. So this campaign was created with Erie County data by an Erie County graphic designer and an Erie County photographer with Erie County kids and an Erie County videographer, and all of them volunteered because they believe in this project. Mm -hmm. So let's get into some of the actual data. So there's two surveys. There's this big Pennsylvania Youth Survey, and then there's a smaller survey that we did to find out interesting things that weren't going to be covered on the Pennsylvania Youth Survey. So when we met with those religious leaders, they said, we would love to know more about their story. You're telling us they don't go. We want to know why. We want to know, did they used to go? Have they never gone? 
Are we talking about families that three generations back have never had anything to do with religion? Or are we talking about people who have been, got burned, stopped going, you know, got too busy, whatever? So we said, okay, we can try and find that out. We ran a smaller survey. Not, I mean, nobody's writing a PhD paper on it, okay? Um, I helped create it. That pretty much tells you what we've got going on there. But um, that survey was asking kids those kind of questions. And what we got back was that one in five youth in Erie County who took our survey have no firsthand experience with religion. And by that I mean not them, not their parents, not their grandparents. They have never experienced anything to do with regular participation in religion at all. That's crazy. One in five. We don't even get into the ones that are going part-time sometimes and, and then, you know, have left and whatever. But one in five have no firsthand experience. Then we had two other interesting questions that I just want you to mull over in your head. We asked them first, do you go? And their options were, yes, once a week or more, rarely, or excuse me, once a week or more, one, two times a month, rarely or never, Okay. The yes, we go, it's important once a week or more, uh, was 37%. 37% said that they go regularly. But when we asked them another question, do you think it's important? Okay, follow-up question, do you think it's important? Their options were yes, it's very important, eh, so-so, and no, not important at all. I want you to know those 450 kids, only a sliver said not important at all. But 51% said very important. 51% said very important, but only 37% are going regularly. That's a window, people. That is telling us that they are open and willing, and they're just not here. Um, there is a huge connection between parent-child strength of relationship and this religiosity factor. I could have shared a million different slides, but we got to get out on time. And uh, so I picked one because this one spoke to me as a mom, but it said 66% of students who attend religious activities, one or more, so this is the go, these are the kids that go, said their parents tell them frequently they are proud of them. I want to be one of the parents that my kid, when asked, says, oh, yes, my mom tells me she's proud of me. 66% said yes. And there is thing after thing after thing that I could go on and tell you that makes just incredible case for stronger families and stronger parents when their kids are participating weekly. Now, I can also read some of your minds. I see you out there. And you are thinking, chicken or the egg? Is it that coming here makes them become better parents? Or is it that better parents bring them to church? Right? Some of you are thinking it. I know it. And I would argue it does not matter. I would argue it does not matter whether it's because or after or a combination of both, which is probably most accurate. What matters is that once they come through that door, they are in the better category. Their kids are more successful. They are better as parents. Their kids feel that they are loved. 
That is some of the questions that they said. Do you feel approved of by your parents? Do you feel loved? Would you go to your parents with a problem if you had one? Those kind of questions, significantly higher rate. Now, I know I'm talking to you about data, but have you noticed I have not yet actually used a chart? I know this because I am a normal person, not one of the brilliant minds. And I also know that if I use too many charts, you all turn into comatose people that are drooling out the side of your face. So I have saved your math brains for the next chart. Now, it's a real chart. Don't lose me. Don't give up. You can do it, okay? All right, grades. You heard Colby say that kids who attend get better grades. This is the chart. I want you to take a look at this. The blue are the kids who never attend, and the yellow are the kids who attend every week. This is A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's. Do you see how high the yellow is on the A's, attend every week, and how low it is over on the D's and F's? But do you see how high the C's, D's, and F's are versus down here? Now, I do a lot of things for my kids to help them be successful, and a lot of them I don't even like, like those stinking science projects and all sorts of things, right? And if being here one hour a week is somehow tied to them getting better grades, and I hear the whole chicken and the egg thing rumbling around in your brain again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the kids who come are more likely to get better grades or if they get better grades. It's a combination probably. But what matters is they end up in this category once they come through the doors. There is nothing on the survey that asks, were you, you know, smart before you came? Okay? It's just, it, it consistently shows up like this. So whatever it is that makes that connection, I'm here. I want my kids here. Okay, now the next slide, also a chart, but I need to tell you that I have yet to share it in public without it making me emotional. Because as a mom, it breaks my heart, this next chart. This is considered suicide, sad or depressed most days, all in all inclined to think I am a failure in life. I know you can't read those numbers from there, but the blues are each one about 40%, 39, 41, 39. These yellows of the kids that go every week all hover right around 20%. That means almost half, almost one out of every two kids who don't go to a religious institution have considered suicide, according to their own report. And there's a 20% drop if they come, I mean, 20% difference. Only 20% of kids say that who come weekly. Now, I hear you, you're like, that's scary. I get it, that's scary too. But if you do data and science at all, man, we get excited about a 5% difference. This is 20%. And if me being here every week makes my kid that much less likely to commit suicide, that much less likely to be sad or depressed, that much less likely to think they are a failure? What else could I be doing with an hour of my life every week that is more valuable? We're not even over here talking about the spiritual implications as a Jesus lover. 
we're just over here living in my data world. And in my data world, it says that is different. I am, uh, can we skip the next one? Skip that one. Okay, there's a window. A window we found when we asked if you used to go and you don't go anymore, when did you stop going? And the vast majority said between the ages of 10 and 12. Now, I have a 10-year-old, and our survey did not ask why. I mean, we had to limit the questions, people. We had to get people to actually take the survey. But what we did when we started asking people after the fact, they had answers like me. They were like, dude, have you seen our calendar? I'm telling you, a year ago when my little girl turned 10, turned 10 it was like all of a sudden our calendar exploded. We've got practices and games, and we're doing this, and we're taking lessons for this, and we need to go to this extracurricular brilliant mind thing, and, <laughs> and all of these things. And looking at my calendar often makes me want to curl up in the fetal position and hide in my bed. And that is hard. I get it. There are days when you are exhausted as a parent, and you do not want to come here. But out of all the things you could cut out of your life, to make more room to breathe. This is not it. This is not the thing that you should be cutting out. Because all those other things, do you even know for sure if they are making a difference? Because I know for sure that having your kids back there for an hour, it does make a difference. So this, this kind of stuff, some of you are sitting here going, okay, Great, data lady, you totally, you know, we were not expecting you. We were promised Colby, and it's a parenting series, and you tricked us into data, and we're just not impressed with any of this, right? But I want you to know, I came last week. I don't go here. I go to a very similar church, but I don't go here. But I came last week to sit amongst you and hear Colby start this series because I kind of wanted to know what it was like before you were stuck with me on stage. And I was so just touched when he started talking about, you know, the verse, as for me and my house. Because he is so right. You are finishing that statement either on purpose or by default. You are either finishing this sentence by choice and you are articulating it and teaching your kids what you value in your home. Or they are figuring it out for themselves. Because how you spend your time communicates so much more than your words ever will. And as for me and my house, as for me and my husband and my little redhead and my little terror, we are going to serve the Lord. And being here once a week, whether it's hard or not, is important, and they're gonna hear it from my mouth, but they're also gonna see it from my feet when I walk through this door every Sunday. So if you've been listening to me out there, whether you are on internet land or in this auditorium, you are one of three people. Well, actually, you're one of four people because my mom is tuning in from Toledo, Ohio. Hi. But the rest of you are one of three people. You are either 
a visitor, or you're watching online and you've never darkened this door, and you are thinking, what in the world did I get myself into, and you are not buying a word of what I am saying. I am telling you, you need to look into it. If you are a parent, seriously consider the implications for your life and find a place. I got permission to say this ahead of time. If this isn't your thing, find a different place. But find a place that you can commit to and invest in and go every single week. Find it. If you don't have one, make it your mission this summer to find a place. Number two, you are one of the people who comes once in a while, when it's convenient, when we don't have this going on or that going on or we weren't out too late last night. And I hear you, I understand, and I don't work here, so this is not self-promotion or trying to get you to come here because it makes me better. I am telling you because it makes you better, get your act together. <laughs> get here and make it happen. Make it a priority that you do not give up for silly and frivolous things. There will be occasions, I get it, but it should not be the kind of thing where you turn around and it's been a month since you were back. It should not be the kind of thing where it's when we feel like it. As for me and my house, you're finishing it one way or another. If your problem is that you're actually in category one and you're saying you're in category two, then go find your place. But if this is your place, Make it your place. Number three, you are annoyed with me. You have been in this audience going, you are literally preaching to the choir. We are here. We are here all the time. Or I have no kids. Or my kids are grown. Or I'm single. Or I'm a teenager. And none of this applies to me. I'm not a parent. I already am a parent, but we're super invested. I don't get how this applies to me. This is how it applies to you. We are running this campaign again August through October of this summer. You will see it, there will be billboards, there will be newspaper articles, there will be everything we can afford and beg, borrow, and steal to buy. And when that happens, you need to know that there are people in your life right now who need Jesus. But I gotta tell you, some of them have iron cases around their heart. And if you try to talk to them about spiritual, about Jesus, a direct path, they are shutting you down. They are not ready to have that conversation. But this data, I got to tell you, there's this crazy effect when you're talking about data and science that it somehow just becomes less intimidating. And you would not believe the number of people who have been willing to engage in a conversation about this data who would never let me talk to them about their need for Jesus. But they will talk to me about, so do you really think they get better grades? So do you really think that if they go, that, that what do you think it is? Do you think it's the mentoring? Do you think it's the, so, you know, I mean, I end up talking about all sorts of stuff. It's the social norming and all the things that go into it. But you can be ready too. And my challenge to you, if you're in category number three and I'm preaching to the choir or you don't have kids, be ready because I'm building a stage and I need people to stand on it and shout. Do you know enough about what this place offers to children and youth, even if you don't have one in the program, that you could articulate it to your 30-year-old coworker when they ask you what you think of this campaign? Do you know enough about 
how to act and talk about some of this stuff so that you could have an intelligent conversation with somebody who's curious that would eventually segue into what you believe. Are you praying for the kids of this city? Are you praying that this is going to change lives? And if you are praying, are you preparing for the influx that God is going to bless you with coming through these doors, August, September, and October, this fall? Because that might involve more volunteers in the children's program. That might involve more volunteers in the youth program. Because if you get what you've prayed for, you've got to be ready for them, people. You've got to be ready for them. So one of three, you either need to find your place, you need to get your act together and make it happen, or you need to be ready for what's coming this fall. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.